Welcome to the Pet Industry Podcast, connecting you with the people behind the passion, the leading experts in the pet industry. I'm your host, Dr. Megan Sprinkle. And I'm your other host, Dr. Mary Cope. We are going to talk about some really cool research that you have done. So we have a research team here with our special guest, Dr. Leach, who is a board-certified cardiologist at the University of Missouri. And like I said, anybody can read a publication, a paper, and a journal, but very rarely do we get to hear are all the fun stories that go behind research and like why you did this research and what did you find and the fun things that happen along the way. You do have a lot of fun stories because on top of this just being really interesting research that you're doing, you were doing this in the middle of a pandemic. So you had to overcome additional challenges and in addition to the problem you are trying to solve through the research. I think a really good place to start, though, is why do this study? Do you mind sharing a little bit about the reason to even sit down and do this particular study? Yeah, that's a fantastic question. Doing research is just one part of my job here at the university, but my primary research interest has always been on canine cardiomyopathy or disorders of the heart muscle. And one of the newest topics, at least in the veterinary nutrition, veterinary cardiology world, is this concern or association of developing a certain type of heart disease, dilated cardiomyopathy, or DCM for short, associated potentially with certain types of diets. And so really, this has been at the forefront of research amongst a lot of veterinary cardiologists trying to figure out, is this an association? If so, what is the cause of it? Or is there a cause for it? So a lot of people are looking into this, and I was approached by the BSM team to kind of get started on this project, and it was a very interesting topic and I think a novel way of looking at it. So that that was what at least piqued my interest in it. So when you started this study, was this kind of pre-pandemic, or were you already coming up with the study design and everything during the pandemic? It was just pre-pandemic when we began designing the study and thinking about how we wanted to run it to get the most information in the smallest amount of time and with the smallest amount of dogs. And then the pandemic hit. Perfect timing, ma'am. <laughs> you talk a little bit more about like how when COVID hit, how that complicated the research process, because I'm assuming it didn't make things easier. Well, sure. I'm sure Dr. Leach has a lot to say about that since he was actually trying to work during it, whereas the rest of us were just consulting from home. But we already had major issues with the study because we were doing this in dogs and we needed specific tools like fluoroscopy and ultrasounds that the lab didn't usually have. And so we already had to gather equipment. And thankfully, we were able to work with Dr. Leach. So we were able to get the personnel. But having to get those things and then suddenly run a study when there were restrictions on personnel that could enter the facility and work with the dogs and work with each other, they're complicated things. What do you think, Dr. Leach, from your perspective, how did it affect things? Yes, I would agree. I think right before the pandemic, we had started talking about the planning and the equipment specialized equipment, fluoroscopy, having a dedicated catheter lab, because it is a surgical procedure. So we needed an, an anesthesia team and we needed it to be sterilely performed. 
all of which we have at the University of Missouri with our own cath lab here. And there's the usual hassles of the university red tape that you would have to go through normally. But then you throw in the pandemic and the sudden exodus of veterinary technicians and veterinarians and the sudden influx of the veterinary caseload. And it just wasn't going to be feasible for us to be able to block off a large chunk of our catheter lab and anesthesia team for this procedure um, when we had a, a huge clientele base waiting. So that took a little bit of sort of thinking outside the box and looking for other partners and other ways of still being able to facilitate that. That's where working with the group out of Sinclair who's who have a dedicated catheter lab and we're able to rent the equipment and get the anesthesia support that we needed. So we did have to pivot from our initial plan. When the pandemic hit, I was actually in grad school and I was having to do susceptomies on rooster, which is a very different surgical procedure. But we had rules about how many people could be in a room at at one time, which meant that I ended up doing majority of these procedures solo. Did you have to also work with a skeleton crew around like doing these procedures with mandates of how many people you could have in a certain space? Uh, absolutely. Great questions. For these kind of procedures, the endomyocardial biopsies, we do need a specialized team for that. And definitely the pain pandemics, uh, restrictions associated with that, the limit, how many people could be in certain size rooms. And of course, we were using a, a fairly small catheter OR suite for that. But we were able to get the personnel that we needed. It just meant that we did have to restrict who could be in there and when. And, um, and of course, they are surgical procedures. So there's always the biosecurity concerns that would be there even without the pandemic issues. And I would love to ask, why biopsies? And because I think that's really important too. Some people might be like, wow, that's, an, that's a lot to go in there and take a sample of the heart muscle. But there is a reason, and I'd love for you to explain a little bit more about why actually go in and get samples of the heart muscle in this particular case. That's, that is a great question. With the imaging and the blood-based biomarkers, that's all very non-invasive and really easy to get. But unfortunately, ultrasound changes or echo changes may be a late finding in developing cardiac disease. And some of the cardiac biomarkers may also not be an early indicator of heart disease. And there can be fluctuations, daily fluctuations in that as well. So with the biopsies, the goal of that was to actually obtain a piece of the heart muscle, a very small piece, and look for any subtle changes microscopically. And that could be inflammation of the heart muscle, excessive fibrosis, fatty replacement. So things that would just not be detectable um, in the early stages, or even if it was a mild form, unless you had a piece of the tissue. So when this study, when all was said and done, rumor has it that you had performed about 130 of these biopsies? Yeah, I'm not sure the number of dogs. So our goal with the actual procedures is we did have a, in our operating protocol, we did have a minimum number of samples and a minimum number of weight of heart muscle that we needed to obtain from each dog to have sufficient amount of samples to perform our test on. So I believe the average number of samples we took from each dog were about five or six samples from each dog. And we did the biopsies just in the larger dogs, the, the hound dogs. So yeah, I would 
I could say it was probably over a hundred-ish biopsies. Definitely a new procedure for me, but I will say that towards the end of the procedures, it was really easy, very routine. We had a great team and I was surprised by how easy it was. Now, I I don't know for a fact, but I assume that this is not a procedure that many people are well-versed in. So how does it feel to be able to be to put this on your resume that you are an expert at taking these biopsies? I wouldn't say I'm an expert at these biopsies, but I do feel more comfortable with this procedure. I mean, it is a procedure that can be done in clinical practice, and there are definitely indications for this. It is commonly done in human medicine, looking for transplant reactions and things like that, trying to diagnose heart muscle disorders as well. It just doesn't seem to be as common in veterinary medicine, I think largely because of the equipment that's needed for it, but also just refining the technique. And then also we, our veterinary patients range anywhere from pounds to maybe 60 pounds in weight. So the equipment will vary based on the size. So while I'm not an expert, I definitely feel more comfortable proceeding forward if I needed to in clinical patients. Now we've talked a lot about cardiac biomarkers, and I just want to backtrack for our listeners who don't typically have cardio or cardiac biomarkers crop up in their everyday conversations. What are they and what's the significance of them? Yeah, great question. Biomarkers are just simply some sort of test or diagnostic that we can perform, usually some sort of fluid sample, a blood-based test from an animal that can indicate or pinpoint certain types of disorders. So when talking about cardiac biomarkers, we're looking at blood-based tests that can indicate the presence or potentially even the severity of certain types of heart diseases. So these two specific biomarkers that we looked at in this study were NT-proBMP. So this is a type of hormone or a peptide that is produced naturally by the heart in response to stress or stretch and dilation of the heart. And then the other biomarker that we looked at was cardiac troponin I, which is a type of microscopic protein in the heart muscle that normally stays within the heart, but can get released into the bloodstream if there's injury to the heart muscle. So the NT-proBMP is a great or is a non-invasive way of looking for dilation and stress or stretch of the heart itself. And the cardiac troponin I is a way of looking at an acute injury to the heart muscle. So was there a particular dog that just stood out with a funny personality or something? There's got to be a good doggy story. (laughs) So I mainly worked with the hounds in this research project. And all of these dogs were just fantastic, well-behaved dogs. And they all were adopted out after the study, found some amazing homes. I was really going on the idea of adopting one out myself. At the time, I had two other dogs and there was just no other, no way I could have one more large dog in my house. But these dogs were all super sweet. They were so well-adjusted to the people and they just loved the attention. I know a lot of the other study team members that I worked with from the very beginning already had picked out which dogs they wanted to adopt and were already very attached from probably the first week that they arrived. They definitely tugged on some heartstrings there. Oh, wonderful. In our last few minutes, I would love to ask you some more personal questions, Dr. Leach. Can you tell us more about your career as a veterinary cardiologist? What got you interested in veterinary medicine to begin with? Uh, Absolutely. So I'm currently an associate professor of cardiology at the University of Missouri. I 
uh, like many veterinarians, probably had the same story about how we wanted to become a veterinarian. It all started in our childhood, getting exposures to animals and a love of science. I'm really no different in that aspect. My first introduction into veterinary medicine was actually with my own, our own personal family dog who had gotten into rodenticide poisoning. Little did we know, but we, one day after school, I came home and just knew something was off with my dog. So of course we rushed our dog into the local veterinarian who was able to quickly figure out what was going on and get us started on a treatment path. And that was my first introduction that there was a thing called veterinary medicine. And I was just in awe of how the veterinarian was able to figure out what was going on and also able to get our dog back to, back to feeling good again. So that was my initial introduction to veterinary medicine. And I think I was maybe 12, 11 or 12 at the time. So at an early age. So I ended up going to Texas A&M for my undergrad degree in animal science already with this pathway laid out. And after I got my bachelor's of science there, I stayed there to get my doctorate of veterinary medicine. And it was actually during our third year of coursework. So we're still in the classroom that we started getting introduced to specialty medicine, which I had never heard of. I thought everyone was just a small town local veterinarian. And that was where we started getting introduced into surgeries and dermatology and cardiology. And just right away, cardiology was just something that piqued my interest and just, it was interesting. The basics of it came easy to me. So that's what I figured I wanted to do. So after graduation, that led me down to, into a rotating internship here at the University of Missouri. And I had an excellent mentor here, Dr. Deb Deborah Fine, who helped guide me during my internship. And then I was able to also get a residency here and finish my cardiology residency. And then I stayed on as faculty. And then for whatever reason, I decided to go back to school this last semester and finish up my master's degree. I've done quite a bit of my education just at two places, both schools that I love. But I think I can officially say I'm done taking exams and uh, studying for a test. As someone who's about to sit for her bo specialty board exam, I hear you. <laughs> yeah. Dr. Leach, it was such a pleasure speaking to you today. Thank you so much for joining us, and I look forward to seeing more research from you in the future. Thank you for joining us on the Pet Industry Podcast, a BSM Partners production, with editing by Cliff Dubinois. Your podcast team is me, Dr. Megan Sprinkle, and Whitney Russell. If you want to learn more about our family at BSM, please visit our website at bsmpartners.net. And please make sure you are subscribed to the podcast, tell a friend, and find us here next time.